Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the message of that song. We're grateful for what we've learned in the study of Ephesians that showed us that abundant mercy. We were dead in sin. We were lost in sin. But You were abundant. You were rich in mercy toward us. Father, we give You thanks for that. God, I pray that You'd fill this room with Your mercy. That we would trust heavily. That we would lean fully upon Your mercy and Your kindness. Lord, we deal with a topic tonight that for some brings a great deal of shame, a great deal of guilt. I pray we would remember what we've just heard in song and what we've read in Ephesians. You don't seek to change us by guilt. You don't seek to change us by self-hatred. You don't seek to change us by condemnation. You love us. And you give us great mercy. May it be that love that draws us ever so close. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I guess probably the worst part of of my job or a job like mine is that too often I get a front row seat to the destruction of a family. I believe the number one culprit and certainly very much of a growing enemy that brings that destruction about is sexual immorality. I'm going to define that word a little bit more in a moment. Suffice to say for now, and probably not a surprise or a shock to anybody, I hate sexual immorality. For the obvious reasons. I hate what it does to the human soul, what it does to the individual life, what it's doing to families, what it is doing to our society. What is one of our great desires is becoming our great destruction. Some of our youth, maybe many of our youth, are making decisions right now that they will never overcome for the rest of their lives. Sexually immoral decisions. I'm not saying that because I'm a pessimist. I'm not saying that because I don't believe in the power of God to change. I'm saying that because I watch the same story over and over and over and over. Parents, some of these youth are making these decisions right in front of us. We don't even know what's going on. We're busy providing a living. We're, we're, we're busy providing for their material needs. We're, we're stressed about providing college. And do you know that because of decisions that they're setting in motion in their life right now that will come to their full fruition in about 20 years, it won't matter anymore what you provided because of the devastation that they will be living in. Throughout my ministry, throughout this past year, I have dealt with close friends. I've dealt with family. I've dealt with strangers. I've worked with believers and I've worked with unbelievers. Sex is raping our soul. 
Where does this destruction begin? I think it begins because we either don't understand or we don't really believe that God is for us and not against us. That destruction begins when we approach God's Word as a set of rules to keep us from having fun, a set of rules to keep us from experiencing love, instead of a book that tells us how to find love. A book that tells us where real fun and real life is. I can't think of a more profound illustration of how wrongly we approach God's Word than in the area of sex. You know, for some, the idea of having a sentence where sex and God are in the same sentence is there's just something wrong with that. And that's why we go to the world to learn about sexuality. That's why we go to to the world to learn about what sex is and, and what it ought to look like and what it ought to be like. Of course, the world has never, not one time, has Hollywood ever told us the truth about sex. God's never told us anything but the truth about sex. But we go off to the world. Even as believers. Innocently, with guilt. Naively, with cunning. We go looking to the world to define sexuality for us. It it is a God who loves you. It is a God who wants the best for you, who speaks what He speaks in this book. It's for our life. It's for our relationships. It's for our benefit and for our good that He says what He says. I want to read a number of passages tonight. I'll conclude with where we're going to study tonight in Ephesians chapter 5. You may want to go ahead and turn there now and and just camp out there for a moment until I get there. Uh, I'm going to flip through these other passages pretty rapidly. So why don't you just go to Ephesians 5. We're going to begin in verse 3. And uh, just wait for me there. If you want to write down uh, the passages that I'm reading from, you should see them listed on the screen behind me here in a moment. But I want to start with maybe one of the most famous, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, comes right out of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. Jesus elaborates on this statement in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, and He says, You have heard it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, says, The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So should I take the member of Christ, the members of Christ, and make them members of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Do you not know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For it says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. 
flee sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, so that each of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who do not know God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage must be respected by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. And then finally, our passage tonight, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for the saints. And coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. You might remember a couple of weeks ago when we were in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 1 there. We learned that we are dearly loved children of God. That's what you are. You are dearly loved. And it is to be that love that that motivates us, that challenges us, that encourages us to imitate, to follow after the One who so greatly loves us. Sexual immorality is not the practice of following after God. You see, to imitate Him is to walk in love. Sexual immorality is not love. As a matter of fact, it's evil. It is so evil. It is so contrary to God. It is so contrary to a life imitating God. You hear what Paul says here. I can't even believe we're even talking about this. This kind of conversation shouldn't even be taking place. Among us. Sexual immorality. What are we talking about? We probably have a a pretty small definition of that. When I say sexual immorality, probably a few things come to your mind. Adultery. Having an affair with somebody. Sex outside of the marriage probably comes to our mind. Premarital sex. Sex before marriage probably comes to our mind. Sexual immorality includes both of those things. But it's a lot broader definition than that. The the word in the Greek language used that is translated here in chapter 5, verse 3, sexual immorality, the word there is pornea. You can probably guess what English word we get from that. That word pornea includes the idea of adultery, but also prostitution, homosexuality, incest, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage. 
it really means any kind of illicit sexual conduct. Any kind of out of place, out of God's design and recipe sexual conduct. It certainly includes the disease that is sweeping across America that we get from this word pornography. Another way we might define or or get a feel for what we're talking about when we say sexual misconduct is to go back to Hebrews 13.4. And we might say from that verse that sexual misconduct is acting in any way, doing anything that does not respect, that does not honor the marriage bed and treat that place as sacred. Treat that place between one man and one woman in marriage as special. Anything outside of that is sexual misconduct. It is the kind of thing that we just heard all of these passages about. Sexual immorality. It's a lot broader term than maybe we're comfortable with. I think probably for many of us, we like to think of ourselves well this side of sexual immorality. But what we see here is that it encompasses anything outside of God's design. You see a couple of words used here. I don't believe that we're seeing a list of sins. I believe every one of these from the greed to the talk to the idolatry is all relating back to this. Coarse joking, sexual joking, sexually impure language falls under sexual immorality, according to Jesus. And this is so contrary, again, to who and what we are. Paul says, you know, this is just completely improper for the saints. You do remember that's what we are, right? Saints. Remember when we looked at that in Ephesians chapter 1? We're called saints. We probably are not used to thinking of ourselves as that or, or calling ourselves that. But that's what we are. That's what God calls us. Saints literally means holy ones. We are holy. We are set apart. We're set apart to live for God. We're set apart to live as God designed. And Paul's idea is here is those who've been set apart for this, how can we go back and live as those who've not been set apart? How can we go back and live like those who've not been blessed, who've not received an inheritance? You see that phrase there. No sexually immoral person has an inheritance in God's kingdom. You remember in Ephesians 1, we saw all those blessings that we receive as somebody loved of God. We saw that inheritance that comes to us. We saw in Ephesians chapter 2 that that comes not because we've earned it, not because God owes it to us, but it comes out of His love, out of His grace, out of what we just sang about. It all comes out of His mercy. Man, God has lavished love on us. How can we go back and live like those who've not known that love, who've not known that blessing, who've not received that inheritance. Now, is Ephesians chapter 5 coming now along and saying, oh, by the way, if you've ever done this, you just lost that inheritance. No, it's not saying that. It's not referring to an act, an act of sexual immorality, but rather it refers to these as people, as character qualities. If the character of your life 
is sexually immoral. Now, remember, if the character of my life is sexually impure language, if the character of my life is pornography, if the character of my life is lust, if it's any of these things that falls under sexual immorality, then we need to challenge what kind of relationship is it we think we have with Christ. Because we've been called to imitate Him. And a life that is characterized by this is a life that is living in complete opposition to that love. In complete opposition to who God is and to who He has called us to be. We need to ask ourselves, am I really saved? Is that really what has happened to me? Because this is not proper, at all proper, for those who've been set apart. Man, what we've done is we've started living like animals. Remember talking about that in a couple sermons ago? That word here, greedy. That word greedy. This is not, in my opinion... A lot of commentators would agree with me on this. This is not referring to a lust for material possessions. This is not referring to a a lust for more and more and more money. We can't ever get enough or we're not satisfied. No, this is a, a greed in the area of sex. We have become like ravenous, rabid animals who can't get enough. And that's not talking about having a a high sexual drive. No, that word greed means it is a self-centered, never satisfied love. Now, what are we supposed to be doing? We're imitating God. Our walk is one of love. Greed is the absolute opposite of love. Greed says the only issue on the table here is my satisfaction. The only issue on the table here is how much I get. How much I want. And whether I'm getting what I want. It's the complete opposite of love. Man, God gave us sex to to love and to serve and to bless our mate. Not possess, not take, not get, not withhold. It's something we serve our mate with. But when you head down an aisle of sexual immorality, you end up greedy. Pornography develops greediness. Pornography develops an insatiable appetite around self-gratification. It's in complete opposition to everything that God has given us. You see here in the passage also that God calls this person an idolater. An idolater. Idolatry is when you are so focused on something, you desire something so much that it lands itself, it locks itself in the center of your life and pushes away everything else. We begin to worship that. Romans chapter 1 says that when we get locked into this, what happens in our lives is that we exchange an incorruptible God, the glory of that incorruptible God, we exchange that for a corruptible idol. I can't think of a better illustration than sex in America. We have exchanged more for less. We have exchanged real intimacy for a lie and for greed and for selfishness. We've exchanged what is real for what is fake. We go into, we go into our sex lives, the real one. And we reach out there into the world and we use the lie... 
to come back in and criticize and judge and set expectations on what is real. It's insane. The lie is guiding the reality. The fake is guiding the truth. Now why? Why does God not want us involved in incest? Why does God not want us to have sex before marriage? Sex outside of marriage? Why does God not want us on pornography? Well, gosh, that's a, that's a dumb question because it's a sin. It's a, it's a sin against God. It's a, it's a sin against marriage and those we love. Well, yeah, of course, yes, it is a sin against those things. But did you hear what I said out of 1 Corinthians 6? The Bible says it's a sin against our own body. Do you know there's not another sin in all the Bible that is defined or described in that way? Sexual immorality is the only sin in which we... Now, think what a sin is. Sexual immorality is the only sin in which we trespass against our own life. In which we transgress our own body. That's the reason why those involved with sexual immorality, those being enslaved by this, often end up hating sex. And often end up hating themselves. The highest rate of sexual satisfaction is for those who were pure before and all throughout marriage. The highest rate of sexual dissatisfaction is those who were premaritally and extramaritally involved in sex. God's trying to give us the best sex there is. We keep believing a lie. We transgress ourselves. And it ends up bringing this hatred for sex and hatred for self. What a loss. God has given us such an incredible and wonderful gift. I believe to experience an intimacy and and a closeness only enjoyed probably even greater than that by the Trinity itself. And yet we take it, we hand it to the devil, we let him massage it, work it, define it, and hand it back to us so that it can completely destroy our soul. I am afraid... Of pornography. I am afraid of what it is going to do to our nation. The reason I say going, it is right now today, I believe, wreaking, I, I believe it is one of the top three destroyers in America today of lives and a family. Right now. And I don't even think we've seen the tip of the iceberg. Why do I say that? Because while people of all ages are addicted and consumed by this disease of pornography, if you'll just think about it with me for a moment, if you're age 30 and up, you know, when we were growing up, hardcore pornography was pretty difficult to get to. It was very rare. It was very difficult to access. And there was a lot of shame with trying to access that. So it was limited and it was rare. But for those coming up in this generation, for those 30 and under, hardcore pornography is easy and often accessed with no shame. Eight out of ten high schoolers has been or is now involved with hardcore pornography. Eight out of ten. 
You see, I think I believe, and I don't know this for a fact, I think I can say today, most people, now that might just be 51%, most people today are not involved in pornography. But that's not true of the generation coming behind us. Eight out of ten are letting the worst forms of perversion, the worst forms of the devil's definition, guide and build their sexual soul. What's that going to look like in their lives? What's that going to look like in their marriage 10, 15, 20 years from now? That's exactly what it's going to look like. We are going to see sexually transmitted disease like we never thought was possible. We're going to see divorce. In a society that is consumed with divorce, we're going to see divorce like we never thought was possible. And we are going to see the destruction of the human soul. And I don't believe it can be stopped. I really don't believe that you and I are going to do anything to stop it. But I know from God's Word, we're not to be a part of it happening. So, so what do we do? Well, gosh, when we think about what we might do, we're, we're coming from all different areas. We, we've got people who, who are in marriage and they're sexually pure and they're enjoying the sex life that God has provided. You've got people outside of marriage that are sexually pure. You've got those in marriage, they're in the right place, but their sex life is completely defined by Satan. You've got those right now that are, are being tempted and, and are dealing with pornography. They think they're in control. They're not. They're absolutely taking a step closer every moment to total enslavement that they'll never be released from. You've got those that, that are flirting with sexual misconduct right now. You've got those that are knee-deep in sexual misconduct. You've got sexual victims. You've got sexual addicts. And every one of those people is in this room right now. Every single one of them. I didn't mention a one that's not in here. So it's from all these different areas that we talk about what we do. Let me suggest five things. Number one, we have to confess, we have to recognize, we have to acknowledge we are not immune from being a part of the destruction. And that's not just true of sexual immorality. That's true of any sin. The moment you think, I've got that one conquered. I'm done, I'm done being tempted by that. That's when, Satan, that's when Satan has you right in his crosshairs on that one. The only way we overcome sin is in total dependence upon God. The only way we handle temptation is being deep, deeply reliant upon God. So we have to start by recognizing I'm not immune to sexual immorality. The second thing, and probably really the thing we could stop the sermon on right now, because it's the one thing God just really says, this is how you handle this. You flee sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians 6. You flee it. He has not asked us to draw lines and then stay a couple of inches this shy of it. He hasn't asked to see how strong we can be at dealing with it. He says when you see it, you go the other way. You're always moving in complete the opposite direction of sexual immorality. Now, there's some sexual immorality I can't keep. There's some sexual temptation I can't keep from coming into my life, from coming into my sight. And that's where Jesus says, flee, run away from it. 
moving in the opposite direction. But you know what? If I'm fleeing, I guess that also means I wouldn't be setting up opportunity. Wouldn't it? So if I am fleeing from it, how can I be paying for it to come into my TV? That would seem to be impossible, wouldn't it? If I am fleeing from it, how can a believer possess and own a computer that does not have software to block it and an inability to unblock it without being caught? And we can do that as a believer, but we're not fleeing sexual immorality. Third thing we need to do is we need to resolve to have a goal to be sexually pure. I mean, folks, it's kind of a simple thing. If it's not even a goal in my life, there's no way I'm going to get there in the sex-saturated society that we live. We have to have that goal. I, I think we have to resolve to promote God's best. Well, we do that a lot of different ways. One, we study God's best and we live it. We study God's best and we obey it. And that means right down to our language. The words coming out of my mouth. I mean, hey, a sexually immoral person. Filthy mind, filthy heart. Guess what comes out of the mouth? Filth. Pure heart, pure mind. Out of the mouth comes purity. If we're going to make any kind of difference at all, there ought to be purity in our talk. We don't have an opportunity to be sexually funny. We really, in our world today, we don't have any more opportunity to tell kind of an off-color sexual joke. The stakes have just gotten way too high. Only purity can be coming from our mouth. That's how we promote God's best. Gosh, dare I say we promote God's best by not promoting the devil's best? Every dollar spent on pornography, and there's billions, billions and billions of dollars spent every year. It's the highest form in the entertainment industry, highest profit. And every one of those dollars goes to enslaving not only sexual addicts, but drug addicts. The great majority of women involved in pornography are there because they're supporting a drug habit. And if you're paying for pornography, you're making that possible. You know, well, if, if I wouldn't do that, my few dollars and a billion dollars isn't going to make any difference. Okay. Is that is that what you're going to say to the Lord? When he asks why you were a part of enslaving somebody to drugs and sex, that your few dollars didn't make the difference. I'm praying for you. Voting. Voting is another way we promote God's best. You don't get many opportunities there. But as believers, we better know what opportunities are there. We had one this past fall with the marriage amendment. I pray that comes back around on a, on a national level. But wherever we are voting on, on purity and obscenity and on, on morality, we need to vote God's best. Lastly, we need to get help. We need to get encouragement. I've put on the on the back, I'm sure you've already seen it, the back of your bullets in a number of of places of ways to get encouragement. The reason I use the word encouragement, getting help implies you're having a problem. Some of us will be very quick to say, I don't have a problem. And you may be right. You may not have a problem. I don't think any of us can sit on the sidelines in this battle. 
We need to know what's going on. We need to know how to minister. We need to know how to help others. And so we've put a, a variety of resources here from books to the Internet to, to small groups. We need to be knowledgeable of this area. And then there are those who need help and they know they need help. The first step of coming out of that self-hatred, the first step of coming out of hating what sex is doing to you, I believe the first step is in some of these things right here, in professional counseling. It's not going to go away. And you're not going to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and handle it. Get help. Get encouragement. Why do we all need to do something about this? Number one, because we have a serious problem in the United States of America. And it's going to destroy us as individuals. It's going to destroy our families. It's going to destroy our society. Second reason we need to be involved is because what we talked about last week. Didn't we say last week we're supposed to make a difference? We're, we're salt. What does salt do? It holds at bay the rot of sin. That's why we have to care. That's why we have to be involved. And we need to do something because... Sexual purity is God's will for us. It's God's will for me. It's God's will for my marriage. It's God's will for my children. It's God's will for my church. It's God's will for my society. Purity is God's will. Let's pray. Lord, I would pray for that individual, individuals in here right now that are sinking in this. That God, you'd give them the courage to get past the shame and to get help. Maybe tomorrow they'll call a, a pastor here at the church or this week they'll call one of our counselors. Maybe they'll go and get one of these books. Maybe they'll tell a friend, I need help. Lord, help us to get past the shame. That's the, that's the devil's tool. That's not your tool. The shame and the embarrassment is not how you want to work in our lives. That's how the devil wants to keep us enslaved. God, you want to free us. You want us to enjoy mercy and your love. Oh God, may we believe Your Word. May we hear what You're saying. God, may we start being very, very serious about purity in our lives, in our homes, and in our society. Lord, I don't know what's coming in our culture, but I am very discouraged by what seems like an overwhelming onslaught that we are way, way behind. And Lord, I don't know that believers are doing much better than the rest of the world at handling this temptation. God, we want to find the answer. We want to find life and the strength to stand in purity, in light, in truth. We want to enjoy what You've provided and what You've given. May we resolve to go after it. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.